Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name is Dan Hasler from Cut Through Coaching and joining me today is my colleague, Mr. Tim Perkins. G'day, Dan. How are you? Not bad, mate. Yourself? Very well. A little tired. A bit tired. We had, we had a very early start this morning, didn't we? We did. We did. The reason we had an early start is that we, uh, we have a guest on the show today and uh, we recorded a, a conversation with uh, Mr. Alfie Cohn from uh, Boston over in the US there and obviously with time differences meant that we had to be up probably well certainly at work before we're used to being um, at work and so today's a bit of an education special although it um, certainly will have connotations and and you know you'll get some insights if you uh, manage people if you lead people if you work in any kind of organization but just for the benefit of people who might not have um, heard of uh, Mr. Alfie Cohn um, tell me a little bit about him mate and why we wanted to get him on the on the show yeah Alfie's a, a bloke who I've certainly been following for many years and I know you have as well he's a he's an author and he's a lecturer and you know he's an expert um, in education and in parenting and he's an absolutely prolific writer and he comes from the margins a little bit in that he's got some fairly strong, well, in fact, he's got some very, very strong, strong views. <laughs> yeah, he's got some very strong views, particularly around the idea of extrinsic rewards um, for uh, students in particular when he looks at schools, but also, you know, what happens at home with parents. And he, his basic premise is that rewards and punishments are a real problem and that we haven't really considered them adequately mm. and uh, so yeah we end up having a great chat about that today yeah and, and obviously we're going to jump into that right now i'm going to give one of those um public service announcements before i reckon this is really going to annoy some people <laughs> right i reckon some people will be listening to this and they'll spit their coffee out they'll they'll swerve you know because i think as we said there he's got some very strident opinions mm. and what we um, are really keen on on doing on this particular uh, show is is to really try and bring some strong opinions to it to really push some buttons for us to start thinking about how we do what we do and you know and the way we think about how we do those things so um, I'm really looking forward to not only hearing the conversation you know but also hearing what kind of feedback we might get through from people who have listened to it so yeah people like people like Alfie are great I think because they're polemics you know they've mm. got polemic views about certain things and you know this he's not just talking off the top of his head this mm. is a guy who's done a lot of research and he's explored the research of a lot of other significant people mm. he's not he's not just giving the gospel according to Alfie he's mm. really these are very considered views but they're strong. He doesn't yeah. hold back, and right. uh, it'll be a challenge for us. So, my suggestion—I totally agree with you, Dan. It will—it will upset a few people, possibly. Um, but my idea with this is that we listen, yep. uh, have, give it some thought, allow it to percolate as you know as your day progresses, mm. and uh, and then you know maybe even write to us, give Indeed. us your thoughts. Indeed. All right, let's jump into it. It's an absolute delight for me this morning to be in conversation with Mr. Alfie Cohen, who. Uh, has a an extraordinary reputation in the field of of alternative education and alternative perspectives, as I see it, uh, in relation to a lot of what we do quite naturally in schools, but probably deserves a whole lot more questioning. Um, often we find in schools that we do things that have always been done, and um, Mr. Cohen is one of those people who really 
challenges us to think about that and to think differently about the way that we're doing things. Um, so it's lovely to have you with us. Nice to be here. You know, uh, I've read a lot of your work and I've been following your work for a long time. I've heard you speak live when you made a visit out to uh, Sydney, Australia three or four years mm -hmm. ago. Um, I understand that you've been, uh, in fact, I've even watched your interview with Oprah Winfrey and uh, lots of other talks that you've done. And the passion that you have about the work that you do is incredibly palpable. Um, there's no um, uncertainty about your passion um, and how you feel about the work that, that you're doing around challenging this concept of rewards and praise. Can I ask you, what's driven you in this direction? I, I think a combination of research and observation and also recognizing that the things I truly value, and it's hardly just me, um, are eclipsed or threatened by common practice. Well, whenever uh, research and good values point in one direction and what we tend to do on a widespread level points in a different direction, uh, I begin to look around. It makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up and I say something's wrong here. Um, in fact, I begin many of my lectures and workshops with both teachers and parents by asking, what are your long-term goals for your children or for the students you teach? And I get very similar answers all over the world. Um, and then what I basically do for a living is to say to folks, you say you want this, so why are you doing that, given that that makes it less likely that you can reach even your own goals for these children. So for example, the use of rewards, uh, either tangible or verbal, tend to undermine the quality of performance in classrooms and workplaces. People who are trying to get a good mark or get uh, money or get a, a, a prize or praise, tend not to be as creative and thoughtful, um, to be as effective as people who do not, who are not treated like pets in effect. And rewards, including praise, also undermines one's interest in what one is doing. The more you're rewarded for doing something, the more you tend to lose interest in whatever you had to do to get the reward. So I suppose my my passion, my fervor, comes from the fact that I want people to take joy in what they're doing, especially children, uh, in learning. So given that we have a, a robust body of research showing that bribes and threats alike tend to kill that joy and ultimately quality, and ultimately quality, um, that animates me to try to oppose those problematic practices. That all makes perfect sense, but why is it that we have so much trouble considering this? I mean, you use really interesting words like bribes and threats, mm -hmm. and the vast majority of teachers would not feel, um, certainly on the face value of what it is that they're doing with their students in their classrooms, that it is about bribing their children or threatening their children. I mean, they're strong and um, value-laden terms, pejorative yeah. terms. Um, and, you know, some of us, me included, I'll put my cards on the table, I agree with you. Um, but 
there are a lot of teachers, the vast majority I would suggest, would feel that that is not the way that they're running their classrooms, that they've got reward systems in place and that they use those reward systems to um, give incentives to their students to keep doing the things that, you know, the teacher perceives as the right things to do and the things that will ultimately allow those kids to achieve and to focus and to try their hardest. Um, I'm playing devil's advocate here a bit, I'm sure you can hear it, but what, what do we say to those teachers who, you know, because I imagine part of this is about putting a, a bit of a stick of dynamite under people and say, are you actually doing what you really want to do or is it, as you're suggesting, undermining, you know, the creativity and the interest of our students? Well, look, I'm not, low, I'm not um, attached to, I'm not wedded to the use of those loaded rhetorical phrases. They are pejorative, but I also think they're quite accurate. Um, when, you, when you say you are going to punish a child or to use the euphemism you know, there's going to be a consequence if you don't do what I want. You're saying, do this or here's what I'm going to do to you. I mean, that's a threat. You can pretend it isn't, or you can claim that you have good reason for doing it or hope that it will ultimately do more good than harm, but that doesn't make it any less of a threat. And conversely, you know, you, I'm not wedded to the term bribe, but here what you're saying to children is, do this and I'll give you that so that what you're doing now is a means to an end. And I don't question at all the premise of your question, which is that the vast majority of teachers, parents, and managers who use rewards are doing so in the hope that it will have what they believe is a justified effect. Now, unfortunately, in many classrooms and workplaces, the actual goal of the use of rewards is compliance. We might dress it up by talking about it as positive reinforcement or academic achievement as the, as the goal, but it's really to get kids to do whatever we want them to do. And part of the problem ultimately is not just with the method, although I'll come back to that in a moment to say more about why it's such a pow powerfully counterproductive method. Part of the problem is with the goal. In the way you phrased the question, I think you accurately captured that when many teachers are rewarding kids, it's to get the kids to do what the teacher unilaterally has decided is the appropriate thing to do. You know, kids learn to make good decisions by making decisions, not by following directions. And the best classrooms, the ones that help kids to be lifelong learners, curious, critical thinkers, and so on, uh, are those where the students were consulted continuously, where the curriculum was created with them, not just for them, where they feel worked with and not just done to. Um, and I say a lot about that in some of my other other writings. So part of the issue here is what's the objective? Most of the school-wide discipline programs with positive behavior in the name, that sort of thing, were never designed to help children become caring, compassionate people or independent thinkers. They were designed to get kids to obey authority. And that should be our first warning that something's up. That's why I begin by asking teachers, what are your long-term goals? And very few of them will say, to get these kids in life to do what authority figures command them to do. 
Instead, many of them will say, I want them to be self-sufficient and independent, as well as caring and ethical and happy and so on. But regardless of the goal, let's say your goal really is to help kids become generous people who really are concerned about others. The research overwhelmingly shows that children who are rewarded or praised for helping others become less helpful and generous. You can only buy one thing with a reward or a punishment, and that is temporary compliance. In the long run, rewards exactly like punishments. They're not opposites. They're two sides of the same coin. Um, the rewards exactly like punishments can never get you anything beyond that. They turn out to be not merely ineffective at those more ambitious goals, but actively counterproductive. And that's not just true with respect to generosity. You know, it's true of creativity. Children and adults who are promised a reward for solving a problem or, or, or doing something creative are less effective and creative than people promised nothing. Part of the reason is that people don't like being controlled, and rewards are just control that's sugar-coated. And another part of the reason is whenever you offer a reward um, for doing something, you are implicitly devaluing whatever they had to do to get that reward. So if I say to kids, all right, now, if you really try hard on these maths problems, you know, and you're really successful with it, uh, you're going to get a sticker, a star, extra dessert, a good mark, uh, money, whatever it is, you have just taught the kids maths is something to hate. They figure, of course, this must be something I wouldn't want to do. That's why they have to reward me for doing it. So the goal... That's right. Kids are smart, aren't they? They, they, they smell the rat. Yeah, exactly. And I've seen that I've, I've talked to, you know, eight-year-olds who understand that programs that give them a prize for reading a book make them hate reading. <laughs> there's, there's not something wrong with the, with the prize. There's not something wrong with the schedule in which or, or on which the prize is offered. There's not something wrong with a child. There's something wrong with the whole idea of controlling children with reward and punishment. Do you think the fact um, that a lot of what you're suggesting is actually, and maybe you disagree with the premise, but let's let's explore it a little bit. Do you think the mm. fact that um, a lot of what you're suggesting is counterintuitive to parents, the idea that, or, and to teachers more particularly, um, the idea that, for example, we're going to reward kids, and, and you know, I'm sure this happens in Boston and <laughs> certainly happens in Sydney and it's happened all over Australia. Yeah you know, government systems to reward kids for reading books. And they say, okay, we're going to have an incentive program. And everyone says, well, that's fantastic. We need kids to read more. We need them to get off their screens. We want them to read more. It's a good thing to read more. Let's give them an incentive to do so. How could that possibly be a bad thing? It's counterintuitive to, for people to think that's a bad thing. And yet, you know, I know about your research and certainly I, I've seen the experiment that happened on the Oprah show that you were on a long time ago where they, you know, gave kids incentives to do a puzzle. And as soon as they gave the kids, you know, in the in one group, the, the money to do the puzzle, the kids stopped doing the puzzle. When the kids weren't given the financial incentive, the incentive was much higher, the motivation was higher, the engagement in the 
in the situation was higher, Correct. which seems counterintuitive on the surface. Would you agree? Um, it depends. For example, one interesting psychological study with undergraduates asked the undergraduates, do you think that people will be more motivated to do something if they get a reward and then later the reward disappears? And most of them said, well, yeah, it improves motivation. And then they explained that the research actually finds exactly the opposite is true and explained why. And almost all of them said, oh, yes, I can see that now. I mean, if you took something that I really love to do, like, I don't know, playing video games or you know, whatever it is, and you started paying me to do it, and then you stopped paying me, I would be less interested afterwards than I was to begin with. So in a way, it's counterintuitive. But once it's explained to people, a lot of them suddenly get it and say, you know, I, I could see it all the time. There, there was a program, there is still a program in the United States by a, a chain of pizza restaurants that offers free pizzas to kids and their uh, if if they read a certain number of books on a list, it's a program called Book It. And years ago, a, a researcher who was originally from New Zealand named John Nichols and then moved to the United States, I asked him, because he was an expert on motivation and children's development, I said, what's the likely effect of a program like this? And he said, the likely effect is a lot of fat kids that don't like to read. You know, <laughs> and, I mean, that's exactly right, you know. Yeah, it's mission accomplished. It, it's not exactly. It's it's not just and and maybe at first parents and uh, if you're immersed in a culture because you were raised that way, you were taught that way, and now maybe in your office you're being managed that way with pay for performance schemes, you know, and um, and incentive plans and bonuses. You know, you come to think it's natural and well, it must work. Otherwise, you know, they, why, why would people do it? But then when you see the research and hear the logic behind it, you say, oh, my God. Again, this isn't just failing to be effective. It is actively doing damage. Every time you offer a child a mark, a good grade, you know, or a good job, I really like the way you did whatever, you are destroying that child's intrinsic sense of control, of autonomy, of interest in, and ultimately excellence at whatever she was doing. It's, it's very interesting. And, and um, you know, Australia tends to follow through popular culture a lot of what happens in America, yeah. and, you know, sort of 10 years after it happens at your place, it seems to happen at our place. And um, yeah, we're, you know, we're not that, that idea of we're a cautionary tale. We shouldn't be seen as example. you are a cautionary tale. <laughs> Look at what America's so doing. Ways. Looking what America's doing yeah. with its addiction to behaviorism and say, let's make sure we never do that. Yeah, well, exactly. And I mean, you know, we you, Americans may not watch Australia terribly closely, but we're certainly very aware of what's happening in America. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're you're Commander-in-chief is a very interesting example of all oh my god! But um, yeah, let's let's not go there. That's another that's another conversation altogether, which we'll have in hell one day. Um, so, in in as an alternative to rewards, because I think we're talking to a lot of teachers here, but not exclusively teachers on this podcast. But certainly, a lot of our listeners are teachers. Mm -hmm. They may be really resonating with some of the stuff that you're saying, and the penny may really be dropping. Going, oh my goodness! I you know I, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't having a sticker chart. I wasn't having a star chart. I wasn't having student of the week. 
in order to damage these kids. I wasn't having these incentive schemes to read in order to get kids to stop reading. You know, I've of course not. Right. Or, yeah. or you know, as you've explored before, you know, what are these sort of schemes doing with reading? Often it says, okay, well, what's the easiest way I can get the prize? I'll just read the shortest, crappiest book I can exactly. find. Exactly. Yeah. And therefore, what I was intending, what the teacher was intending to to happen as a result of this is not happening. So teachers are starting to think, okay, so maybe there is a problem with this. Maybe this guy's right. What, you know, what are some alternatives here? And I'm not asking you for specifics here, but are you frustrated by the lack of traction? Is it, is it uh, incredibly disappointing to you that your work still seems to be on the fringe compared to uh, what happens in the mainstream and what can we do? Um, let me, b before I tackle that, I just want to, you passed over very quickly one example of list of kinds of rewards that are offered. And you mentioned student of the week. And I just want to use that as a, to take one moment to point out that that's even worse than a reward. It's an award. And the difference is that an award is a reward that has been made artificially scarce. So in addition to the damage that a reward does, even if everybody can get it, it still destroys everyone's intrinsic motivation. What's far more damaging than that is one where everybody can't get it and everyone is set against one another. So you, have, you add the arsenic of competition to the strychnine of extrinsic motivation, <laughs> right? So that's the worst possible situation is where I now have to actively defeat everyone around me in addition to the motivational issues inherent in rewards. Now, as... I, look, I, I agree. Sorry, just let me yeah. jump in for a sec. I agree with that, but I'm also very aware that the kids who are wised up to the situation know that all they have to do is keep turning up at school because teachers, being the way that they are and they, they want parity in their classrooms, all you've got to do is keep turning up and eventually you are going to get student of the week. Oh, well, if it's some, uh, perhaps I misunderstood. If it's a student of the week where that rotates and it's a chance to celebrate each child one at a time and it's clear from the beginning, now we're just going to look yeah, at, yeah, that's story. very different. I have no objection to that. It's, it's when we turn it into a contest or an award where some are have to, if, if he gets it, I can't. That's what I'm objecting to. Um, as to your questions, the first part, you know, it's not very interesting to me. Am I frustrated that we haven't made more progress? Yes, of course. But is that going to stop me from continuing? No. What's the alternative? You know, we, we can make, make a, a difference here and there, and hopefully it will spread. Um, and we do what we can at the end of the day. As to the alternative, um, Sometimes we tend desperately to try to rescue these concepts of recognition and so on. Uh, and often those are just different words for the same thing. Oh, I won't call it praise. I'll just call it recognition. And that doesn't change anything. It's still a verbal doggy biscuit if it's judgment, you know. So one alternative is that we really is to ask why we're doing this. What are we hoping for? And our motives matter as much as or more than the behavior of what we're doing. Um, if, I'm, if I'm saying something out of genuine appreciation because I'm impressed by what a child has done, that's certainly better than 
than offering praise in a deliberate attempt to manipulate the child's behavior and get her to do something different in the future. But even if my motives are pure and my um, my conscience is clear and I'm doing it for the best of reasons, what really matters is how it's experienced by the child. And if the child feels that this is a reward in effect, so now my goal is to get that recognition again from the teacher tomorrow, it has done its damage. And if the child feels controlled in effect, less autonomous, it has done its damage. So very often, we don't need to do any of this kind of recognition. We should just shut up and watch. Our assumption <laughs> that a child is not going to be excited by, interested in, committed to what we're doing, um, unless an artificial inducement, namely my patronizing pat on the head is offered, is often represents either selling the child short at a cynical view of human nature that everybody's just selfish and lazy unless you give them that doggy biscuit, or it represents an accurate uh, uh, perception of the fact that what we're asking kids to do is not very engaging to them. In that case, the the re response should not be to figure out a different way to motivate the child with a different kind of recognition. The problem is the task. The problem is the curriculum. The problem is our expectation. And often the problem is that the kids had nothing to say about what it is they're being asked to do. It's their disempowerment that we should be addressing, not a new technique for making them do whatever it is we're asking them to do. Often, if we want to respond to them, we feel like we have to say something. We can just describe what we noticed the kid doing. You know, I noticed in this essay, you, you started by uh, quoting somebody who matters a lot to you. Um, or I noticed that you went about this math problem in a different way than what we had talked about. And then we might even follow that up with a question. Why did you decide to do that? How is that working, do you think? These responses of describing and asking are respectful, unlike praise, even if we call it recognition, which is mostly about judging kids. And a positive judgment isn't really much better than a negative judgment. So this is where the authenticity really comes into it, I imagine, too. Um, like you, I'm a big fan of Richard Ryan and Ed Deasy's work. And I, I, I shouldn't put words in your mouth. I, I understand you're a big fan of their work around self-determination theory. Is that, is that correct? Uh, it, 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 <laughs> it is, although I draw from the work of other researchers, but they have certainly influenced me mightily, yes. Look, it's my contention that if we create an environment based on their work, uh, you know, if we create an environment or a culture in which students feel that they belong, that they have some choice in what they do, that they understand why they're doing what they're doing and it serves a greater purpose and that they have the opportunity to work in an iterative way, you know, the idea that you have multiple opportunities to develop your work through uh, process uh, in order to develop some sense of mastery of concepts and skills, that managing their behaviour suddenly becomes, you know, essentially unnecessary because a lot of teachers, particularly young teachers, I've been involved in teacher education for a long time, a lot of young teachers feel that they need to manage students' behaviour. What are your thoughts on this in the context of Ryan and DC's work around self-determination? 
I think this premise is, is largely correct. It rings true with what I've seen in many, many schools um, and what I've seen in the research, that if kids have their needs met for autonomy, being self-determining, being an origin in their lives instead of a pawn, as one researcher put it, if their need for belongingness and connection is met, if their need for competence is met, then yes, you, you won't have to do as much classroom management. All of that makes sense. But I want to come back to what I said a few moments ago, that it's not just about the method, it's about the goal. Many times when we manage students, it is because we are primarily interested in getting their compliance. And if a teacher goes in with that as the primary goal, I decide what they have to do. Now I need some trick tricks and techniques to get them to do it, then it's not going to be enough to just meet their psychological needs. The problem comes with the original objective and the extent to which we haven't been open to the idea that students should be active participants in exploring ideas, in creating projects, and so on. So it's not, it, it doesn't automatically solve itself of, uh, just because we're, we're meeting those other needs unless we reinterpret one of the needs of autonomy to change our basic objective. And then I guess, yeah, that would do the trick. I've got a number of questions here, but I'm just going to distill them to one. Um, I, 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 I sent out uh, to several friends and colleagues who are interested in your work and who are doing great work in their own uh, sphere. And I asked them, many of them were university lecturers or school principals, but the one that I'm going to take your time with is from a school, a deputy principal who's a school teacher as well, named Emma Smith in, in Sydney here. Um, and she and a couple of her colleagues have a question for you. So what's the number one question you would be asking teachers today or you are asking teachers today when you see them? Well, uh, I begin by asking, what are your long-term goals for kids, as I mentioned before, so that I can then see that as an opening to ask whether our strategies are being successful at meeting your own goals, never mind my goals. Um, I would also ask them, if I'm allowed a second uh, question here, is um, how do you feel about the way you're being treated by your administrators and more broadly by government dictates and mandates for curriculum and other things? and pedagogy. Do you feel listened to and respected? Or do you feel that these people higher up than you on the food chain are trying to second guess and micromanage what you teach and the way you teach? Because if the latter is true, then why would you treat children with behavior management programs and the like the same way that you resent being treated? This is a fundamental fork in the road, I think, is either you're going to treat your children the way people with more power are treating you, or you're going to treat them the way you wish they were treating you, in which case you need to serve as a kind of uh, buffer, absorbing pressure from above while not passing it on to those down below. And if you are lucky enough to be treated respectfully as a teacher, where people are working with you rather than doing things to you, make sure that you share that goodness with your children and create a working with community of learners in the classroom instead of falling prey to the assumption that kids 
don't deserve or aren't capable of being consulted uh, and must be manipulated either with rewards or with punishments. In other words, I'll sum it up with this. Whether, whether you're an adult in a workplace, including a school, or a child, you know, what we can, what we can do to reach meaningful goals, not memorizing facts that will soon be forgotten and not mindless compliance, what we need to do is talk less and ask more. A good challenge for all of us, um, particularly teachers, I think. I think it's one of the things that I talk to my undergrads about is, you know, you know, with the greatest of respect, just shut up and listen. Um, you know, it's, it's, we, we've, we all know it's not about filling the empty container. We're all very aware of that and yet somehow it seems to be our primary uh, approach. Yeah. Tell me, um, for teachers, and I'm particularly interested in new teachers, young te well, not necessarily young teachers, but teachers new to the profession, if you were going to direct them to one of your works in particular, my guess it might be Punished by Rewards, your book, or, or would it be something else? I guess first I would invite them to look at my website, which lists all my books yep. and also has hundreds of articles and blog posts so they can graze and enjoy whatever they, they want. But if you're asking me about books, it depends which topic they're interested in. This conversation has been about rewards. So yes, Punished by Rewards is the natural book. But on education, I would probably focus more on my book, The Schools Our Children Deserve, to deal with issues having to do with academic learning, and my book, Beyond Discipline, to deal with non-academic, social, moral, behavioral learning. Fantastic. You're a prolific writer, and um, and we will put links to your books and to your website in the show notes. And so anyone who's been listening who is interested in exploring more of Alfie Cohen's work, uh, you'll have no difficulty finding that. So, uh, again, thanks so much for your time, and we really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for your interest. Well, there we go. As we uh, promised, uh, some fairly strong opinions, some fairly strong uh, wording used. He's, I don't think there's any question of uh, him sitting on the fence with his views. No, too. He's, how, not, he's not a fence sitter. Uh, how, how did you feel sort of coming out of the, that conversation? Well, I actually feel quite energised. I think it was really great to hear from someone who's got very strong views about education because I think, you know, all of us have been educated. Uh, a lot of the listeners to this podcast are teachers or work in the field of education. And we know we haven't got it completely right. Mm. And a lot of people listening to this as well are parents. And, you know, as a friend of mine said to me once when my first kid was born, he said, you know, parenting is just about degrees of getting it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, which made me chuckle and still makes me chuckle 19 years later. Mm. Um but I, I find with people like Alfie Cohen, they, they really make me think mm. because some of, you know, as you heard us say in the interview there, some of what he says appears to be counterintuitive, but I think that's why it's worthy of further consideration. Yeah. Which is what we're going to do. I mean, after listening, we haven't really planned to do this, but I think on, on reflection, having listened to that, we're going to um, try and bring in other people who have done lots of uh, work in the space of motivation. And we'll probably just do a bit of a series. I mean, and I don't know, how, maybe it's a series of two episodes, but mm -hmm. we'll do a series um, at where we really unpack and explore this idea of uh, motivation, and particularly that balance between, you know, compliance, genuine engagement, intrinsic versus extrinsic. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who we can get on and, and, and what, you know, using, I reckon, Alfie's um, provocations, because they are very provocative, yeah. using that as a start point and seeing what other people 
uh, make of it. And as you as you said, you know, like um, we'd love to hear from people listening. You know, if you've got um, a, a question that comes up for you as a result of that, or a comment and insight, then if you head over to our uh, podcast page on habitsofleadership.com, click the podcast page. You can send us um, any feedback that you've uh, got for us there. Mm, fantastic. All right. So um, as uh, Tim mentioned in his chat with Alfie there, if you if you uh, want to uh, check out any of his books, his publications, his website, all those links are in the show notes. And of course, if you enjoyed this conversation, or even if you didn't enjoy it, but found it worthwhile, uh, make sure that you share this as far and as wide in your network. Also, please don't forget to like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast and where possible comment on the podcast, because that helps it, uh, other people uh, find it when they're browsing wherever they get their podcasts and, and if you have someone that's really inspired you through your either education career or or whatever the work is that you do and you think i'd love to have an interview with those guys um it appears that people are happy to talk on our podcast and yep. we've had lots of great you know big names on this podcast now and so um please feel free to suggest someone to us and we'll chase them up yeah absolutely and you can do that again all by heading over to habitsofleadership.com click on the podcast page there and you can hear all the past episodes as well as uh, send us your questions and send us your suggestions for guests but until next time thanks very much tim thanks dan and uh take care take it easy 